And so as we begin the message this morning, just pray for a moment. Lord, I just ask that you be with all of us who are listening. I just pray that you would clear our minds and our hearts and that you would just open us to your word this morning. Amen. And so we're gathering here today, and it's Father's Day, and we certainly recognize that all families are different, right? No families are really the same. And fathers can take on a lot of different um, personas. You know, we've got biological fathers, and we've got stepfathers. We've got adoptive and foster fathers. We even have perhaps single moms who find themselves playing that position of both mother and father in their families. We may have coaches in our lives or pastors or teachers, any of those people who may have played um, a fatherly type role. And one of the things that we know that's true about all of these people is that they are influencers. Uh, for good or for bad, hopefully for good, they are influencers. And part of what they want to do is prepare their children for life. You know, we raise our kids and we hope that at some point they're going to um, go off on their own and at some point they do and then we're sad and we're home and we cry about it but you know that's what we're meant to be doing and that's what fathers do they're helping to prepare their kids for the real world and um, I just think of my own dad you know I was blessed to have him in my life for 51 years and there were lots of lessons that he gave me some of them were, you know, spoken lessons, like he, he would tell me, you know, Josie, you don't have to answer every question that somebody asks of you when I have this tendency to, you know, overshare with people. And then some of the things he taught me by example. You know, he would sit with me and he would help me do my taxes, let's say. And he would do it for me and then he would show me how to do it, do it with me. And then when I eventually graduated college and moved off onto my own, that was something I could do. So my father influenced me with his words and with his actions. And he gave me a lesson that was important for the rest of my life. And so I was talking to my kids about, you know, what similar lessons may have been for them. And my daughter, Jamie, the first thing that she brought up was when Rick taught her how to jumpstart her car. And she was really figuring, you know, she could just kind of hand him the jumper cables and let him do it for her. But um, that wouldn't have given her much of an influence or much of a, of a life lesson. And so he patiently took her and he showed her exactly how to do it and, and nothing blew up, which was wonderful. And you know, now she has that. She has that lesson that she can hold on for her own life and it's something that she can pass on. She can help her friends with the same thing. All because Rick, her stepdad, was an influencer in her life. And as we read the scriptures, we see that Jesus was that for his disciples as well. He had such a deep love for his disciples that even as he was preparing for his own death, he was preparing his disciples for life without him. He knew that he was getting ready, that it was going to be about the end of his time with them, and he really wanted to prepare them for that. Um, and so this this portion of scripture, you know, about John 14 through 17, scholars often will refer to it as um, Jesus' farewell discourse. 
And so he's preparing his disciples for that eventuality that they're going to have to be doing things on their own. And he wants to make sure that he encourages them, um, that he reminds them not to fall back into old ways. He wants them to remember to always stay connected with him and to not fall away from him and to continue in the love that he showed them. As he loved them, he wanted them to love each other and to love others. And so in our scripture this morning, we're reading uh, John 15, about uh, 1 through 14 or so, and the Passover dinner is over, and Jesus is with his 11 disciples because Judas has already left. And at the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, rise and let's go from this place. And so they're walking. Perhaps they're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. The scripture doesn't really give us any details about that, but they're walking together. And we can imagine what it would have looked like around them. There would have been vineyards. So this was an area that would have had a lot of vineyards. It was an agrarian society, so people were well-versed in the vineyards and in uh, reaping and sowing and planting and harvesting. So these kind of metaphors would have been very familiar to these people. And so as they're walking and they're passing these vineyards and Jesus says, he turns to them, he's thinking, you know, here's a great time for a teaching moment. And he says, I am the true vine. So they're walking and they're looking, and in my mind I'm thinking, you know, Jesus must have been hoping that every time they walked this way, that they would have remembered this message that he's about to give them. Whenever they see a vineyard, he's, they're going to remember that he is the true vine. And just a little bit of background on that. Um, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was often referred to as the vineyard, as God's vineyard, or as a vine. Is Isaiah 5-7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. So this scripture, this idea would have come to the mind of the disciples when Jesus said, you know, no, not all that stuff. I am the true vine. And so what he's telling them is, what you believed before about the nation of Israel, I am that center. It's not being in Israel. It's not being Jewish. It's me, Christ. I am the center. I am the one that you need to be linked to. That it's not in being Jewish, not in religiosity, that God is found. God is found in the true vine, which is Jesus. And he wanted them to remember that. He wanted them to remember that he is the source of life. That staying in him and being connected to him is what is going to give them true and full life. Because he doesn't want them to fall back into those ways of, of thinking that, um, you know, being Jewish or going to the temple or sacrificing is their ticket in. He wants them to remember that it's in connection with him. That's what's important. And so through this, uh, these verses of scripture, Jesus is going to talk about a progression. He's going to talk about a progression that he really hopes to see in their lives, some spiritual growth. And it's certainly something that is true for us. It's something that he wants for each one of us because he really wants us to live a life that glorifies his Father. He wants our lives to glorify God. And so what is that? What does that mean? What is a life that glorifies God? How can you tell? And we're told that a life that glorifies God is going to be a life that 
shows the fruits of the Spirit, that bears fruits, where people can see the fruit in our lives. And so fruit, we're talking, what does that mean? Um, We're talking about Galatians. And if you were reading any of the um, encouraging words that have gone out over the last week or 10 days, you'll see that we've been talking about the fruits of the Spirit. So Galatians 5 talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are the signs that you're living a life that glorifies God, if people can see these fruits in your life. And so we recognize that Jesus is the true vine, that he's the source of life, because that's what he's telling us. And we want to progress. We want to progress towards a life that glorifies God by having the fruit of the Spirit visible. And so how do we get there? It all sounds great, but how do we get to that point? Luckily, Jesus is instructing his disciples. He wants them to know this isn't a secret. He wants them to know exactly how to do this. And so out of this scripture, I see that there are four imperative things, four really important things that have to do with manifesting the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. And the first thing that we read right at the very beginning of the scripture is that we need to be in Christ. So verse 1 tells us, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me. So he's talking about believers right at the very beginning. He's talking about that essential first step that must be taken. We must first and foremost be in Christ. And this is the starting point of everything else that follows. We're talking about salvation here. We're talking about um, accepting that sacrifice that Christ gave. We're talking about accepting Jesus and believing that he died for our sins, that he is our personal Lord and Savior. Um, We're talking about accepting that forgiveness and grace. And it's nothing that we do. It's not that Um, We're going to work towards that. It's not that he's going to look at the fruit and then decide that he wants us in our family. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with simply accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And then once we have done that, then this process can begin. And uh, we can call that process sanctification, which means kind of being closer and getting closer to being more Christ-like, having more of Christ in your life. So that important first step is to be in Christ, is to be a believer, every branch in me. And then the second thing, once we've started this process, is that we need to be pruned. Verse 2 says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why does he prune it? The verse continues to say, so that it will bear more fruit. So pruning doesn't sound like a pleasant experience, but the word for pruning in Greek is the word Catharizo, and that word is also translated as cleansing or to clean. And so to be pruned means to be cleansed. And so as we give our lives to Christ and we start to see these fruits of the Spirit that start to come into our lives, God prunes us or God cleanses us. He's getting rid of all those things in our life that are unproductive, all those things in our lives that are time wasters and energy wasters. And we all have those kinds of things. We all have things in our life, no doubt, that we can certainly um, do better without. And once we get rid of those things, we can bear more fruit. Um, 
And so we should be praying. It, it doesn't sound pleasant, but really, we should be praying to God that he prune us, that he cleanse us, that he helps us get rid of all these things in our lives. And why is it important? Why is it important that we allow Christ to prune us, to cleanse us, to, to work through our lives like this? Now, we're talking about garden analogies and garden metaphors and vineyards, and obviously I don't have vineyards in my yard, and um, I'm not an avid gardener, but I do have a vegetable garden, and I have herbs and whatnot um, by my back door, and so I've got some experience in pruning, and there are things that pruning does to a plant, to a vine, to my basil herbs that are sitting by my back door, and some of the things it does is when you prune a plant, it stimulates growth. Just like the scripture says, God prunes us so that we can bear more fruit. When you prune a plant, it bears more fruit. When you prune a plant, you can shape the vine. You can shape the plant. So pruning allows the vine dresser to shape the plant. You know, I think about tomato plants that are growing and you're gonna get all these scraggly things that are you know, going all over the place. And, and it's important that you go and you pull those away and it shapes that tomato plant properly so that it can be as fruitful and as productive as it can be. And once we've done those things, the plant can produce, like the vineyards would produce, better grapes and a higher quality of wine. And so let's think about that in our own lives. You know, we can really make this one-to-one -one correspondence here. As we allow God to prune things from our lives, as we allow God to take out all these wasteful things and extra things and, and things that we're wasting our time on, we can bear more fruit. Our spiritual life is stimulated. We can grow. It stimulates growth. Allowing the vine dresser to shape the vine. Think about that. God shapes our lives, right? As he prunes us, as he takes things out of our lives that are unnecessary or sinful or harmful even, God is shaping us. And so the vine dresser shapes us. And then producing better quality. We know that as we let go of some of those things in our lives that hold us back, that are um, just pulling us in ways that we really don't want to go, the quality of our lives is better. The quality of our witness is better. The quality of our ministry is better. And so cleansing and pruning is a really important part of this spiritual progression that Jesus is talking about. And so we ask, how do we do this? How do we allow God to cleanse us? Jesus tells us right here in verse 3, as he's speaking to his disciples, he's saying, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So there's the key. How do we become cleansed? We become cleansed through the word of God. In other words, we become cleansed as we get into the Bible. We become cleansed as we read scripture for ourselves, as we discuss it, as we go to faith groups, as we listen here to a message on a Sunday morning. The word of God cleanses us. And how does that happen? I'm sure that we've all had those moments where we've been reading something or listening to a message and we get convicted, right? We're feeling, ooh, that doesn't feel great. There's something in my life and Jesus is talking to me through these words and he's convicting me. He wants me to get rid of some of this stuff. And so we become cleansed as we read, as we study, as we discuss, and as we meditate on the word of God. And how often do we need to do this? You know, it's the summertime, right? It's hot outside. How often are you cleaning your body? How often are you showering? How often are you washing your face? It's probably not once a week. It's probably not just Sunday mornings before you sit down and come to church. 
You're doing it more often than that. And it's the same thing with our spiritual lives. We really need to allow the Word of God to cleanse us daily. It's important that daily we get into the Word, that daily we open up that Bible, that daily we're reading that devotion and praying so that God can cleanse us from the inside out, so he can cleanse our hearts, he can cleanse our minds of all those things, so that he can prune us and shape our lives so that we can be more productive. And then the next part is abiding. Verse 4 says, abide in me and I in you. So what does the word abide mean? Abide, you know, we were talking about consistency. So abiding doesn't mean, you know, you're in there once and then you back off or you're in there kind of, you're abiding in Christ here and there when it feels like you want to. No, abiding means you're there and you're remaining there. You're in Christ and you're staying in Christ. And it means that you're developing this close, personal, intimate relationship with our Savior, with Jesus. And this kind of relationship can only come if you've done the step before and you've allowed yourself to be cleansed. When you have things in your life that are putting a space between you and God, that intimate relationship just can't happen in the way that it's meant to. It just, when we have unconfessed sin, when we've got um, things in our lives that are pulling us in negative or harmful directions, we know, we feel it, right? There's a, there's a block between us and God, a block between um, our relationship with Jesus. And so there's certainly times when we feel like we're abiding in Christ. There's times when we feel close to God. And then there's other times when we know that we don't. And it has nothing to do with God. You know, we can think God's not near me right now. But that's not the truth of the matter, right? The matter is us. When we're not feeling like we are abiding in Christ, when we're not feeling that close, intimate communion with him, what's happened is we've neglected the cleansing, chances are. You know, we've, we've let something come between us. We've stopped allowing God to remove things from our lives. And so there's this, this thing in between us that just gets in the way and blocks our relationship. And so it's important that we continue to cleanse so that we can abide in him. And as we abide in him, we can bear fruit. Verse 4 tells us, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so as we have this fellowship with God, we can produce fruit. As we feel like we're getting away from God, something's in the way, we produce less fruit, or we stop producing it altogether. We know that we can do many things without Christ when we're not abiding in Christ. There's certainly a lot of things that we can do without him, and we do it all the time. We go out our own ways, and we try to, to do our own thing without Christ, but that doesn't produce fruit. So what, we can do lots of things without him, but the one thing that we can't do without him is have this fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Um, we can have selfishness, we can have bitterness, we can have frustration, we can show those kinds of things, we can do those kinds of things when we're not abiding, but we can't have those fruits. We can't have love and joy and gentleness and kindness when we have this chasm between us and the Lord. And then, so what happens? You know, our lives are unproductive. Our lives start to feel like they're withering. You know, we're missing opportunities. We're losing our purpose. God has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. And I can guarantee you it does not include gossip, gossiping 
to people, about people. That plan for our lives does not include um, being angry and frustrated and, and nasty and negative all the time. That's not his plan for our lives. His plan is for us to have the spirit, to have those gifts, to have those fruits. And as we start to back away, as we forget about that cleansing part, we're not abiding in him, in him anymore. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen is we're going to get to the end of our lives, and we're all going to face God at some point, and we're going to realize that we have nothing to lay at his feet. We'll have nothing. Our lives will still be with him. We'll still be in him. Remember at the beginning, we're talking about those who are in the vine, those who are already there. But what is our life going to show for itself? It's not going to have a whole lot that we can lay at the feet of Jesus. And so it's important that we, tr that we remain in this position of abiding. So we come to Christ, and then we're allowing God to cleanse us, and then we're abiding and cleansing and abiding. And we want to make sure we stay in this, this condition of abiding. And so how do we do that? How do we stay connected to this source of life? In verse 5, Jesus tells his disciples and tells us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Obedience. Obedience is what's going to help us to remain in that condition of abiding with Jesus. And we know that as we're building this relationship with him and we're abiding and we're working on this intimacy with him, that it really is all about relationship. And that was an important thing that Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples knew, that it's not about following rules. It's not about obeying God out of fear. It's about obeying God in order to please him. And, you know, the Jewish people were used to following rules. That's what they did. And, and we do that, too. You know, sometimes it's much easier in our lives to, to follow a list of rules. And then we can feel good about ourselves. You know, I had a really good day today. I followed all the rules. But then what happens? All of a sudden, you don't follow the rules. You break a rule, which we all do. We all know that we fall short. And then we feel miserable about, about ourselves and we think we're this terrible person. So it's not about rules because you're not loyal to rules. Following rules is not abiding. Being religious is not abiding. So remember at the very beginning, what's the lesson that Jesus is trying to leave his disciples with? I am the true vine. It's about relationship with me, not relationship to rules because we're loyal to a relationship. We know that in our own lives. We're loyal to the people we love. We're loyal to the people that love us. We're loyal to relationships. So we obey Jesus out of love, not out of rules, but out of his love for us and out of our response to his love and our love for him. And through this obedience, we can maintain that relationship that we have with him to abide in him. And as we do that, we bear fruit, we bear more fruit, and we bear much fruit. We see that progression. And so what's the result of all of this? You know, we've come to Christ. We've given our life to him. We've allowed the word of God to cleanse us. We work on this relationship with him uh, through abiding in him. We listen to his word. We obey him because we love him so much. What's the result of all this? The result of this spiritual journey, friends, is joy. It's having joy in your life. Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants our lives to be full of joy. And when this process is at work in our lives, 
Our lives are evidenced by joy. We can see joy in our life. And that doesn't mean the kind of joy that, you know, you're all exuberant and you're laughing and you're skipping and, you know, the world is perfect. That's not the kind of joy that we're talking about because that kind of joy is a feeling and feelings don't last. What we're talking about is that joy that comes from knowing that God loves us, knowing that God loves us in spite of ourselves, knowing that God's love for us is unconditional, that it doesn't matter if we break a rule because we know we're going to. We can have joy knowing that God loves us no matter what. And so the progression of this spirituality is shown in the joy. And then the fruits of the Spirit will manifest themselves in our lives. This, these fruits of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then I want to make one last point that I think is really key. And this is a point that I didn't really see until I really started studying the scripture. And that's the great thing about scripture, right? You can read it over and over and over again today and tomorrow and next year. And there's a new message that God is going to give you in that scripture every single time you open it. And so this is the message that I got, is that the fruit is not for the tree. Think about that. It makes sense, right? I've got raspberry bushes out in my backyard, and, you know, it seems ridiculous to think that the raspberry bush is going to make some use of the raspberries. It's not going to. That raspberry bush is producing that fruit for me, for my family, to nourish me, for me to pick and to be nourished by. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is meant to, meant to do. It's meant to nourish. It's not for us. It's to nourish other people. Because the ultimate result of this whole spiritual progression, the ultimate result of fruit in our lives is that we will bring others to Christ. The fruit in our lives is going to bring other people to Christ. As people see those things and they look at us and they say, hey, I want that. How are you gentle in this circumstance? How can you be patient right now at this time in your life? How can you be joyful? As those fruits manifest themselves, people are going to be drawn to that. And we're going to bring people to Christ because those fruits that come out of this progression are not for us. They're for other people. And so let's remember that. One of the greatest gifts that Jesus gave his disciples is that he led by example. Right? He says, I followed my Father's commandments, now you follow my Father's commandments. My Father loved me, I love you, and now you go and love each other and love others. So like I said at the beginning, it's this whole idea of leading by example, and that's something that Jesus did. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. Think about that. Jesus is calling each and every one of us who abides in him, who is part of his family, who has given their lives to him, were his friends. And what did Jesus do? He made that ultimate sacrifice. He gave us this example of servitude in his entire life, and he died for us. And so fathers and father figures and all those people in our lives, they have this opportunity to lead by example. When I talked to my husband, Rick, about memories of his father, he said that his father led by example. So he learned gentleness and he learned patience by watching his father. And I know that Rick has passed that on to his kids, and he's passed that on to my kids. When I asked Kaylin, my daughter Kaylin, you know, what's an experience that you have of a lesson, a life lesson that you've received? And she responded by sending me this text. 
She said, Rick taught me how to share knowledge. Whenever he was working on a project or a task and I was with him, he'd explain what he was doing and why, so that I can now do it myself. He never got impatient. He was just always willing to share whatever I was doing, even if I messed up. Isn't that wonderful? That's what Jesus does for us. He keeps leading us by example. He keeps loving us. He keeps bringing us joy in our lives, even when we mess up, because he wants us to have the best life possible. Jesus tells us, I came so that you may have life and have it abundantly. And that certainly doesn't mean a perfect life. It doesn't mean a life without trouble. If there's one thing the Bible tells us, it's that we will have tribulation in our lives. We know that. But it does mean that we will have the joy of Christ in us, in us, always. And so I asked my brother, my dad passed away last year, and uh, my brother, because he was in um, geographical proximity to my dad, spent more time with him in those last um, years of his life. And so I asked Patrick, you know, what's a life lesson that dad taught you? And he replied by sending me this text. He said, whenever I would reach out to him during a sublime experience, his word, not mine, sublime experience, like climbing the Rockies to an alpine lake or skiing in the beautiful mountain somewhere, dad would always say the same things. Breathe deep, smile, I'm there with you. Especially in the last couple years of his life, Pat said, I always understood this as a constant reminder to be mindful, to focus on the now. And so this was a life lesson that my dad passed on to Patrick um, when he was with us. And Patrick holds on to that. It's a life lesson that he holds on to. And he's passed it to me and he can pass it to his nieces and nephews and other people that he comes into contact with. And so I think about that when I was reading those words. I was thinking about Jesus saying the exact same thing to us, right? Breathe deep, he says. Enjoy the life I'm giving you. Smile. Have my joy in you. And I'm there with you. Remember, always, even when you're not feeling it, I am there with you in every single experience. And so we remember today that Jesus is the only true vine, that he is the source of all life. And he's inviting us to come to him, to be cleansed by the word of God, to abide in him and to remain in him, and then to be filled with his joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the gift of your son. We thank you for the examples that he gave us through his life. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can enter into scripture at any time when we're feeling this relationship with you strained. We thank you that you prune those things out of our lives, that you cleanse us so that we can enjoy this intimate fellowship with you. Lord, be with us today, be with us always, and allow us to feel your joy in us all the time. In your son's name we pray. Amen.